Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Good morning, everybody. So he stood just outside a nondescript bar off the lobby of a nondescript hotel in Akron, Ohio, of all places. Now, he was there on business, so he didn't know anyone, but he knew this. He really, really, really wanted a drink. So badly, in fact, that without consciously deciding it, his feet were moving him in towards that bar, specifically to a stool where he knew that he would sit and order a drink, which would turn into another and another and another again. But even as he moved in towards that stool, there was a thread pulling him back. See, back in November, he was placed in the hospital for the fourth time because of his alcoholism. And the doctor sat him down and they said, your time is running out. If you don't stop, drinking is going to kill you. Well, that got his attention. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to leave his wife alone, so he decided to fight. He called out to God for the first time in his life, and he really believed that his cravings for alcohol were gone. For six months, he lasted. Through his newfound faith, the support of his friends and family and sheer determination, he didn't touch a drop for six months, but now he stood outside a nondescript bar, just off the lobby of a nondescript hotel in Akron, Ohio. And he moved towards that stool. He had never wanted anything as bad as he wanted to have a drink. And he knew once he sat down, he would have a drink and it would lead to another and another and another again. He got to the stool and he stopped. This was it. Life or death. He could choose in that moment to leave his wife a widow. He really had two alternatives. Drink or live, not both. So he didn't sit down, he turned and he walked out of that nondescript bar into the lobby of the nondescript hotel in Akron, Ohio. This was back in the days of payphones, so he walked up to a payphone. It was also back in the day of church directories, and there happened to be one sitting near the payphone. He flipped through the church directory, he called the pastor. He said, Pastor, my name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. I really need to talk to another alcoholic tonight. Do you know one? Well, it just so happened that pastor did know of another alcoholic, a member of his church named Dr. Bob Smith. He gave Bill Bob's number, and Bill hung up, put a, another nickel in the payphone, and he called Dr. Bob Smith. And as you can imagine, Dr. Bob Smith was none too happy to hear from Bill Wilson that night. He didn't want to meet with anybody. But Bill Wilson was persuasive. He said, just 15 minutes, just 15 minutes is all I need, just a 15-minute meeting. Reluctantly, Dr. Bob Smith agreed. They met, but it wasn't 15 minutes, it was six hours, and a friendship was born. Hey, you know what? Bill Wilson never had a drink that night. In fact, he never drank again for the rest of his life, and Dr. Bob Smith would take his last drink one month later. Together, Dr. Bob Smith and Bill Wilson formed an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. They wrote a book called The Big Book, sold over 40 million copies. And in that big book, they laid out 12 steps, 12 steps that have changed and saved hundreds of millions of lives. 
Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the 12 steps are largely taken from the Bible, three places in specific. Number one, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Number two, the New Testament book of James. And thirdly, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I would submit this to you today, that of the 12 steps were borrowed from the church, in June of 2022, I would say this, as the church, we need to borrow them back. In June of 2022, I would say this, that as a church, we need to borrow those 12 steps back. See, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther once said it this way, he said, the human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory. See, the truth is, you and I, we, we live in this world, and it's a beautiful world in so many ways. It's beautiful, but it's also broken. And, and because of the brokenness in this world that we live in, we experience trauma, tragedy, and temptation. We experience grieving and guilt. And Martin Luther said, the human heart is an idol factory because we desperately seek something to help us deal with the brokenness in this broken world. And Martin Luther said it this way, that anything that we cling to, anything that we seek, anything that we count on to help us deal with the brokenness in this broken world, anything other than Jesus becomes for us an idol. I would explain it this way. It becomes a false savior, a false savior. So what was it for Bill Wilson? Well, for Bill Wilson, it was binging. It was binging. It's not just alcohol we could binge. We could binge alcohol. We could binge drugs or food. Various forms of entertainment. Binging is a false savior. Because it offers to us something that I would refer to as a false peace. See, we live in this broken world, and part of the, part of the equation in this broken world is that we would experience problems. And binging is a false savior because it says, I will eliminate your problems. And it's kind of true because while we're binging, those problems disappear. But when the binge is over, the problems are still there. In fact, often, those problems are worse than they were before we started to binge. And we probably added one or two along the way. It's a false savior. Here's what's crucial. If you're gonna understand this series, here is what's crucial. Martin Luther said the human heart is an idol factor. You wanna know why? Because this is what you would think. You would think to yourself, oh, okay, so the world is broken, I was experiencing problems, and so I had this idea, I would binge. I thought that if I binge, then my problems would go away. Hmm, turned out that didn't work. It didn't work at all. So what I'm gonna do is try to find something else, but the human heart is an idol factory, so often we don't try to find something else, we double down. If at first we don't succeed, we try, try, try again. And so then that false savior that we're clinging to turns into a compulsion, turns into an obsession, turns into a destructive habit, turns into an addiction, and in that sense, the false savior creates a false self. The person that I was intended to be, the person that I was born to be, is lost in that compulsion, is lost in that obsession, is lost in that destructive habit, is lost in that addiction. False saviors. For some people, they seek a false validation. A false validation. We can do this in so many different ways. Our savior can be religiosity. 
I am going to be validated, the false savior of religiosity says, I am going to be validated by obeying the rules, by being well-behaved, by being a good person, by dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That will validate me, that will work, but of course, if the standard is perfection, it doesn't work. And the human heart is an idol factory. So you would think that religious people would go, wait a minute, that didn't work, but we don't. We double down. And then religiosity becomes a compulsion, becomes an obsession, becomes a destructive habit, becomes an addiction. And that false savior has created a false self. It's not just religiosity. Sometimes it's anger. So that's kind of weird. How does anger validate me? Oh, here's how it works. If we're really, really angry, okay, we find that there's less and less people who will disagree with us. If we're really, really angry, we find that there's less and less people that will um, stand up to us, call us to something better, challenge us. And of course, the problem with it is, you're right, there are less and less people who will call you to anything. You know why? Because there's less and less and less and less people in your life and you become very, very isolated. And the human heart is an idol factory. So you would think that the angry person would go, well, that was stupid. Now I'm just alone and angry. No, they double down. And the anger becomes a compulsion. And by the way, can I just mention this quickly? I'm not just talking about explosive anger, but I would include that. I'm talking about passive aggressive anger too. The people who make you suffer by not talking to you for six weeks because you drank out of their water bottle. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Okay, you know, I, that didn't make, but, but you know what I mean. So, so now this false savior of anger has created in you a false self. And sometimes it's the opposite of ang anger. I would call it acquiescence, people pleasing. I'm gonna validate myself by keeping you happy. Acquiescence. So I, I, I just wanna do what you want me to do. I just wanna say what you want me to say. I just wanna act like you want me to act. I just wanna post what you want me to post. I just wanna look like you want me to look, right? You want me to look skinny, I'll do anything to look skinny. You want me to look muscular? I'll do anything to look muscular. I just want to acquiesce. I just want you to like me because if I get enough people to like me, then I'll be validated. The problem is it doesn't work because you can't please all the people all the time, and even if you do, they're not meant to satisfy you. So it becomes people-pleasing, becomes a compulsion, and a false savior creates a false self, and can, sometimes it can even lead to assimilation to where I've lost me, long gone. I've assimilated into, morphed into, what I thought you wanted me to be, and I've lost myself completely. For, for some, it's a false love. It's a false love. You and I were born to, to love and be loved on a deep, deep understanding level, to love and to be loved. But there's this false savior in our culture called sex. And sex says, settle for skin deep. Settle for superficial. Get into porn. Really, really get into it. Because you know what? You're longing for love, but, 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 but here's a shortcut. Just settle for superficial, settle for sex, and of course it doesn't work because you were meant to connect with people on a deep, deep, deep level. But the human heart is an idol factory. So what you would think is we would go, well, that didn't work. I'm gonna try to go a little bit deeper in my life, but we don't, and it turns into compulsion, an obsession, a destructive habit, an addiction, and so that false... Savior creates a false 
self. For some, we're looking for false fulfillment. It can be success. Success, I gotta win. I gotta win. I really, really, really gotta win. Like it's an obsession with me, I have to win. I gotta win at work. I gotta win at school. I gotta win at sports. Like, you know these people. These are the people that are competitive. Like they turn lawn bowling into a full contact sport. You know what I mean? Like they have to win. (laughs) And by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with winning. Like if given the choice between losing and winning, I'll, I'll go with winning, but here's the problem. I've won a little bit in my life, and, and, and I figured something out. Like, what we want sometimes is we want will, winning to just fulfill us right down here at the core of who we are, but it doesn't. It's just kind of surface level. And the human heart is an idol factory, so you'd think we'd go, ah, oh, turns out I got way too worked up about the whole winning thing. Like, it's good to win, but it's not going to finally fully satisfy me. We don't say that, we double down. And now it becomes a compulsion, an obsession, a destructive habit, an addiction. And this false savior has created a false self. And for some, we look for fulfillment in relationships. The problem with looking to another person to be our savior is it always starts in rejoicing, but it ends in resentment. It starts in rejoicing because I meet that person, I go, finally, you're the one I've been waiting for. You will meet my deepest needs. You will complete me. You will fulfill me finally and totally. This is amazing, I finally met you. But then you'll notice that they kind of breathe funny when they eat, you know what I mean? (laughs) And it turns out that they're just not everything that you were hoping they would be. You know why? Because they're not equipped to be your savior. And then it ends up in resentment. And you would think that we would say, huh, I guess another person can't finally fully satisfy me, but the human heart is an idol factory, so what do we do? We double down, and we jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage. That false savior has created in us a false self. So I wanna talk to you about these 12 steps. Like over the course of the next 12 weeks, here's what I want you to know. Like no, no, at the core of who you are to absolutely know is this, there is one true savior, and that true savior is Jesus, and he wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from compulsion. He wants to set you free from obsession. He wants to set you free from lies. He wants to set you free from destructive habits. He wants to set you free from addiction, because why? He wants to call out your true self, real you, real you. We really, really wanna meet real you. The world really needs real you. That's his plan for you. And it's gonna play out step by step by step. It's gonna be good, like really good. It's gonna play out step by step by step over these next 12 weeks. So there's three things I wanna ask from you. I want us to lock in for this series. Three things that I wanna ask, three Ps. Just came up with it this morning. First service, I butchered it because I forgot what the three Ps were, but here they are. I think I got them, I think I got them. Presence, posture, participation. Presence, be here. It's summer, I was really debating when to launch this series. I was thinking about doing it fall, wait, waiting to the fall, but I thought, no, I wanna, I wanna get on it now. I think it's important in June of 2022. I understand there's a lot going on in the summer, but here's what I wanna ask. Can you make it a priority to be here live if you can, online or in person? If for whatever reason, you can't make it live, okay? 
then catch up. Catch up. I don't want anyone to miss this. If you have friends or family, I invite them to be along. Don't sit there, by the way, today and go, someone else, you need this. Okay, now, your wife, your husband, like, you need this, but I think we all do, so, so think about it that way. Number one, participation. Number two, posture. Let's lean in. Let's have a posture of faith. Let's have a posture of expectation. Let, let, let's have a posture of excitement. So what does that look like? Well, if you're watching online, what it looks like is create a distraction-free environment at home or at the cabin, wherever you're watching this, or wherever you're listening. If you're here... Well, silence your phones. We talk about that a lot, right? Um, I got another idea. It's kind of crazy. Do you think you, you could go to the bathroom before the service starts? I know, I know, I know, I know. It'd just be, it'd be great. It'd be cool. And, and if you like the lobby because you think there's coffee there, can I tell you that they put the coffee away during the service anyways? Okay, and then they put it back out. It'll, still, it'll be there again when you leave, right? Um, and, and here's why. Because I want you to lock in. Like, I don't want you to miss a second of this series. And also, you know what? I don't want the person sitting behind you to miss a second of this series either. Oh, and be on time, if you can. Well, what a nag I am today. Okay, so what was it? Presence, posture, participation. Brianna already talked about it. What we've been doing is we've been working on a, a worksheet. Doesn't that sound fun for the summer? A worksheet for, for every one of these 12 steps. You can blast through it in probably 20 minutes if you wanted. You could take as long as you wanted. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this series during the summer is because I wanted, hopefully, you have a little bit of disposable time. Take your time with it. Work these steps. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Grant me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Step one, are you ready? We admit, I don't care, because I'm just saying it, okay? We admitted that we were powerless over blank, that our lives had become unmanageable. We admitted that we were powerless over blank, that our lives had become unmanageable. Kind of summarize it this way. My life is unmanageable, and I'm powerless to fix it. My life is unmanageable, and I'm powerless to fix it. Here's what I know. I know that I've lost some of you as soon as I said that. Because some of you are looking at me going, my life's not unmanageable. I'm powerful. I got this. That's cool. That's great. Um, I would say this, though. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's not an option. Okay, so, so if you've been following Jesus for a week or 50 years, or somewhere in between, that's not an option for you, right? Your life by definition, by definition as a follower of Jesus is not to be managed by you. 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. 
See, I think there's an area for every single one of us, there's an area in our life, if we were completely honest, where we would say, man, my life is unmanageable, I'm powerless to fix it. There's an area in your life that Jesus wants to take you, uh, to, to set you free more and more and more, and bring out your true self more and more throughout the course of this 12 weeks. There's a new Top Gun. There's a new Top Gun movie. And I think it's already out in theaters. I haven't seen it yet, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I haven't had a chance to see it because I've been spending a lot of my leisure time watching the Oilers make their Stanley Cup run. And I've come to the realization that I'm gonna be able to watch Top Gun real soon. Okay, so. Glad you guys take so much glee in that, okay? Uh, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. <laughs> Can we hit security, Dave, the safety team? <laughs> so I was doing some reading on the new Top Gun. So one of the planes that they use in the new Top Gun movie is called an F-18 Super Hornet. It's funny, first service, there's a few guys nodding, like just geeked out, right? They know every plane. Yeah, yeah, Super Hornet, that's it. I'd never heard of that, but apparently it costs about $100 million Canadian. Like $27 American, okay? So um, it's expensive. So I was just imagining, like, you and me walking through the air show, and, and we walk up to this F 18 Super Hornet, and a, Navy, a naval aviator looks at you and says, Hey, man, you want to give it a whirl? You want to fly it? That would be weird, right? And then if you looked at me and said, You want to go with him? I would say, No, I do not. I really do not. So what does this have to do with anything, Mike? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm still rattled about the mean anti-Oilers fan over there. <laughs> Here's what I mean. You're worth infinitely more than an F-18 Super Hornet. Your life is not your own. You're powerless on your own. Jesus wants to direct you, wants to lead you to a place of freedom, to bring out your true self. And that's what step one says. My life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 15. He called it the parable. Well, he didn't call it. We've called it the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, it goes this, goes like this. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So in that culture at that time, he was saying, Hey, old man, could you hurry up and die? That's exactly what he was saying. Hey, old timer, uh, I want your money, I don't want you. I need your money, I don't need you. I love your money, I do not love you. So hurry up and die, or give me my money, that's all I care about. And we look at that and we go, that's gross. That's pretty gross, right? Hey, Pops, thanks for everything. Now die and give me my inheritance. That's pretty gross. But for the purposes of our series, I think it's important we just take a half a step back. So, so we can all agree that's gross. It's repugnant. We don't like it, okay? But let's take a half a step back and let's go, why? Why, why, why is that guy so repulsive? Why is he acting so gross? Here's why. 
That's his false self. That's his false self. See, somewhere along the line, he picked up a false savior. What's his false savior? Money. Somewhere he came to a place in his life where he said, money is what will meet my deepest needs. Money will make me safe. Money will make me happy. Money is what I need. Money is my savior. And somewhere along the line, a false self emerged. It's gross, but can we understand it? It's not him. It's not true him. It's false self. I'll bring that up because we kind of look and we go, oh, that's so gross. It's like that kid's so gross to do that. That would never happen in our culture. Give you an assignment. Over the next little while, I want you to listen to the way that people talk about inheritance. Just listen. And see if in their conversations, for some of them, you can spot a false savior that has brought in them a, 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 more, uh, a more sanitized version of this kid. I've come to the place in my life when I believe that money will meet my deepest needs and honestly, it has become the center of my worship, the center of my life. It's pretty gross. But that's what the false self will do. It's like a, a, a mom or a dad and they got this false savior and the, the false savior is success. Specifically success at work and they grind at work, they work so hard because somewhere along the line, they've decided that success at work will save them, will fulfill them, will validate them finally and fully, and so they grind 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week, and people walk up to them and they say, hey man, just remember, your kid's only gonna be two years old once, your kid's only gonna be four years old once, your kid's only gonna be 10 years old once, your kid's only gonna be 17 years old once. Your kid's only gonna graduate once. Your kid's only gonna get married, Lord willing, once. Okay, so, and they hear that. They hear that. They hear that. But they're powerless to apply it. Why? Well, it's their false self. They got a false savior of success as validation. And so that ain't them. That's their false self. It's not just money and work either. For some people who have this false savior of people pleasing, it manifests itself in, uh, in social media. And, and, and people pleasing can become a compulsion, it can become an obsession, it can, can become a destructive habit, even an addiction. And you know why I can tell that? Is for some of you here today, for some of you watching online today, here's what I know, your hand drifts to your pocket, drifts to your phone without you even consciously deciding. Just like Bill Wilson, was moving towards that stool without consciously deciding it. Your hand drifts to your phone. It's kind of gross too, be, 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 because you end up on social media and you're living in the social media world and you're fully unpresent to the present. You, you, you miss the love and the relationships of the people around you. You miss talking to your mom and dad, your grandpa and your grandma, your, your kids, whoever. And you get off that thing, you get off social media, and here's what's crazy about it. 
the three overarching emotions that you walk away from as you spend time on social media usually are this, envy, anger, anxiety. En- envy, anger, anxiety. Envy, anger, anxiety. It's pretty gross. But can we agree for today's purposes that we're not just gonna look at that kid and go, what a disgusting human being. We're gonna take another step back and go, that's his false self. So he says, hey, pops, give me the money. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. That brought him to his senses. Step one, my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. That brought him to his senses. Step one, my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. How how was he brought to his senses? He ran out of money. He ran out of money. He ran out of money. What a lucky break. What a lucky break for him. He ran out of money. What a lucky break. Right? He ran out of money. What a lucky break. You know why I bring that up? Because in the culture we live in, we, we live in the most affluent culture in all of human history. And so if we've latched on to a false savior, the chances are we could go through our entire life and never run out. So in that sense, it would take a miracle to call us to our senses. And what I would suggest to you today is that there's a miracle playing out in your life right now. If you're here or if you're online, there's a miracle playing out in your life right now. He came to his senses. My life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and he went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. Nice to be a heifer. Your prize-winning, your reward is to be roasted. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home, safe, and sound. The older brother stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. 
His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who was thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. It's funny when people talk about Bible heroes. Bible heroes. You give little kids books. Heroes of the Bible book, and you, and, you, and you read through it with them. I was just thinking to myself, I was going to stand up here and say, can we just get over it? There are no heroes in the Bible. There are a bunch of wingnuts, except for Jesus. But that's not exactly true. It's not exactly true. There's lots of heroes in the Bible. They're just wingnuts and heroes. Right? So let's talk about that a little bit. Have you ever heard of Abraham? Maybe you heard of Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, him? Yeah, well, just so you know, he had his wife abducted twice to protect himself. How about Samson? You ever heard of Samson? Samson, the strong man of the Bible. Pound for pound, probably like the fiercest fighter in all of human history. Samson, what a guy. What a guy. I was reading a study the other day. said this. The average man loses 20 to 50 IQ points in the presence of a beautiful woman. Come on, man. But husbands, I've given you a great defense. Next time your wife looks at you and says, what were you thinking? Are you stupid? You just say, I can't help it that you're so beautiful, dear. Right? That's what you say. Samson, though, right? He went from like this mighty fighter, warrior, into a blithering idiot around women. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. Read it. It's interesting. There's a guy named David in the Old Testament. He's referred to as a man after God's own heart. David. David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, the things he did, in our culture today, he'd be in prison for life. Read about Jesus. He calls 12 disciples around him to walk with him, to journey with him through his ministry years. And yet if you really, really look at the lives of the disciples, what you would see is in many ways they're more of a warning of what not to do than an example of what to do. There's a guy named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. He wrote almost half of the books of the New Testament. Almost half of the books of the New Testament. Whoa! So I want to tell you, if you've been in church for a long time and you think, man, my life is not unmanageable. I am powerful. I will fix it myself. Okay. Do you think you're better than the Apostle Paul? Do you think you're more well-behaved than the Apostle Paul? Do you think you're more powerful than the Apostle Paul? Because this is how the Apostle Paul described himself. Are you ready? He said this. I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. 
The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? That's Paul, author of almost half the books of the New Testament. Paul, what are you trying to say to us here? What are you really trying to get at? I think what he's trying to say is this. My life is unmanageable, and I'm powerless to fix it. The other day, I heard somebody summarize the first three steps this way. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Man, I love that so much. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Because, spoiler alert, Paul goes on. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So let's go back to the story of the prodigal son. Who's the example? Who's the one we can learn from? Who's the one that we should follow? The wingnuts, the kid, the jerk, who says, hey dad, give me my money. He's the example, why? Because he came to his senses. I don't know who you are, I don't know where you've been, I don't know what you've done. But I don't, do know this, that's the moment. He came to his senses and he ran to the Father, that's it. He's our example, the wing nuts. Don't you love that? Who's the warning? The older brother. The older brother, he's never come to his senses. The well-behaved one. You look at the older brother and you say, wait a minute, older brother, wouldn't you say that your life is unmanageable and you're powerless to fix it? He would think you were crazy. But maybe you would lean in and go, wait a minute, don't you think you're powerless to fix your religiosity? Don't you seem to be powerless to fix your pride and your arrogance and your conceit? Because here's the thing, does he seem like a happy guy to you? Does he seem like he's living a great, fun life? Not to me. He came to his senses. That's it. My life is powerless. Sorry, my life is unmanageable, and I'm powerless to fix it. That's it. I can't. I can't. I can't. That's it. See, Martin Luther said the human heart is an idol factory. We're always looking for something to help us cope with the brokenness in this broken world. And then it becomes religion to us. It becomes compulsion to us. It becomes obsession to us. Right? It's a religion. Binging is a religion. People-pleasing is a religion. Success at all costs is a religion. Sex as love is a religion. Relationships 
meant to fulfill us in our deepest level, putting way too much on the other person. That's a religion. And Jesus says, at some point, here's the invitation, come to your senses. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. You'll recover your life. The world needs real you. The world needs your true self. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. He came to his senses. I Let's pray. God, we thank you that when we come to our senses and realize that there's areas of our life where we just can't, you remind us that you can and you will and you have. with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just want to talk to you right now about this whole concept of coming to our senses, coming to the point in our life when we realize, I need help. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I want you to know that that help has already been secured, that God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus died so that you can be free, free, free. And he rose again so that you, you can become your true self today, tomorrow, and forever. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, before I go any further, I just want to invite you, if you've never invited Jesus to set you free, man, that's your first step. That's your first step of humility, just to say, Jesus, I can't. I need your help. So if that's you today, and you want to call out to him, with heads bowed, eyes closed, can you just raise your hand right now, because I want to pray for you right now, nice and high if you don't mind. It's amazing. Amazing. Amazing all over the place. Online too, if you're comfortable wherever you are online, you can raise your hand. If you raise your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. Yeah, you can put your hands down, those of you who raised them, that's great, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you, I'm so excited. Jesus, thank you that you came and you died and you can forgive me. You can forgive me, you will forgive me. So I ask that you would do just that, that you would give me a fresh start right now. And Jesus, not only that you died, but that you rose again. So you can give me a new life. You can call out my true self. You can set me free, and you will. So I invite you to do that. Thank you. And Jesus, for every single one of us here today, for those who just raised our hand, for those of us who are going to ch- have been going to church for 50, 60, whatever years, or anywhere in between, God, would we, be, would we be humble people, humble enough to say, God, I'm so excited that you're not done. 
that you're not done, that you want to set me free, that you want to call me to greater things, to more things, to more truth and more freedom. Today, tomorrow, and for the days to come. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Hey, I love you. I love you. We'll see you guys next week for week two. See you later. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.